Rakshasas have always been one of my favorite creatures, and they've been around since the first edition. Inspired by India's mythological demons, these cats are an absolute nightmare for second-tier adventurers and are often the classic recurring villains for everyone else. These fiends love the luxury afforded by the material plane, but have brought with them all of the malicious genius, usually reserved for the deepest layers of hell. So what's the most adequate way to use these creatures on your adventures? And perhaps more importantly, if you're facing one down, how do you win? We're going to go over all of that in today's episode. Physically, Rakshasas can look however they want. Shape-shifting and illusions are their bread and butter after all. So nine times out of ten, you'll be seeing a disguise that they put on rather than their true forms. Their true forms are actually pretty tame by fiend standards. Their true forms look humanoid, save for an animal head and matching coat and fur. Their most common animal head is that of a Bengal tiger, and that's really all we get in 5e. But in their original lore, it gets all kinds of crazy. Tigers feature prominently, but we also get ape heads, alligator heads, praying mantis heads, and rarely even we get multiple heads. Beyond choosing from a zoo's worth of possible animal heads, their other prominent physical feature is their hands. In particular, how their palms face up. Why exactly they look like that, I have no clue. In no mentions of any of the original myths or any other interpretations outside of D&D can I exactly find where that started. It's really odd, but the real answer seems to be that Gary Gygax thought it would just look cool, and so he made it that way. And I can respect that. Moving past looks, Rakshasa epitomize the evil nobleman tropes. For the most part, their only motivation for existing on the material plane is collecting wealth and power. Both powerful sorcerers and practiced liars, it doesn't take Rakshasas long to lie, steal, and murder their way into positions of power and luxury. Positions they're usually abusing to increase their wealth and take petty revenge on anyone that slights them. Their fiendish nature means that death on the material plane is only an inconvenience. They'll reform in hell and simply work their way out of the pit to take their revenge on whoever dared to strike them down. When not off questing for revenge, the base state of any given Rakshasa is lounging among their riches, bedecked in silk finery and jewelry, working multiple schemes to acquire even more wealth. I wanted to place a small history lesson here, as Rakshasas are prevalent in Indian mythology, history, and religion. They are depicted often as shape-shifting monsters that consume the flesh of man, but are also mentioned as heroes, magical warriors, and even as a people group. They are mentioned in a positive light in both Buddhist and Janus texts, and there is significant evidence that the Rakshasas were simply an Indian tribe that was demonized over multiple generations through revisionist histories and storytelling. There has been some criticism in recent years about the D&D version of Rakshasas, even if it is fairly faithful to at least one historic representation of them. I am in no way intellectually equipped enough to have an opinion on the issue exactly, but it just seems like something that would be necessary info for anyone making a Rakshasa NPC. If anything, looking into the history of it all might give you some great ideas to work with, so I highly encourage that. We've got a foot soldier variant and some named Rakshasas in 5e, but unlike some previous iterations, we've just got the tiger form Rakshasa stats to work with here. And as you can see, they're interesting, to say the least. When it comes to playing a Rakshasa as a DM, they tend to make for great big bad evil guys for tier 2 play, but seem tailor-made for recurring villains at tier 3 play. Their fiendish ability to resurrect in hell combined with their petty natures often means that a single Rakshasa can harass your players repeatedly, simply returning from hell whenever you need an antagonist in the plot again. 
This works up until the players have the capacity to simply visit hell themselves and murder them in, in whatever form they see fit, really. Generally, this means you'll be free to use them as recurring villains until 13th or 14th level. But be prepared for the side trip to hell your players will insist upon in order to murder the cat once and for all. Stepping back from their overall role and looking at their stats for a moment, it's important to note how much their strength is defensive. Their hit points and AC aren't impressive, their spells are powerful but not overtly damaging, and their attacks have a pitiful damage output for a CR-13 creature with a curse that does nothing in the short term. What they have instead is one of the most insane spell immunity abilities that exist on a monster, and a ton of abilities that make them difficult to find. 1st through 12th level spellcasters will be completely nerfed fighting a Rakshasa, and the martial classes will need magical weapons to put a scratch on them. But even with all this survivability, mostly what the Rakshasas can physically do to the PCs is curse a couple of them and then run away. Rakshasas, after all, are intellectual enemies that should be trying to outsmart the PCs rather than take them on directly. They should be the obnoxious lord ordering the PCs' deaths rather than the monster that fights them directly. They should rely on additional minions to deal the actual damage, interjecting a few spells for their own amusement and disappearing if the tide turns against them. Or, if it really is Rakshasa versus party time, the Rakshasa should employ hit-and-run tactics. The Rakshasa's curse ability is horrible to deal with amongst other threats and forces the players to use up valuable spell slots removing the curses, or worse, cuts them off from healing if they lack curse-curing magic. In this way, a Rakshasa can wear the players down as they combat other threats over time and come in for the kill once the players are on their last legs. And this is all assuming that you want to play your Rakshasa as a direct villain in some way to the players. They also make for great reoccurring characters that you just don't want to piss off. Someone that's in charge of giving you quests or money or anything else. Regardless of how you play it, there is definitely a certain way to optimize the way you play it. Assuming nobody in your party has access to 6 level spells, you can assume that these spellcasters are going to be unable to touch it, and they should instead focus on healing, buffing, or any other abilities that they have that don't directly affect the Rakshasa. If you do have some 7th level spells in your pocket, fire them off immediately. They have zero protection against any spell 7th level or higher, and well-timed finger of death spells or a powered up fireball can solve the problem, well, right from the get-go. Martial classes are the intended route for defeating Rakshasa, and assuming you can actually get to it, and it's not invisible or playing tricks or something like that, they shouldn't be all that difficult to damage. Simply make sure that you've got some baseline magical weapons at hand and take a swing. Their AC and hit points aren't great, so expect them to try absolutely everything to stay out of your reach after it manages to get a claw into you. Speaking of those claws, they are nasty. The damage is minor, but they automatically curse you. No saving throw, no nothing. You usually aren't even aware that you're cursed until you try resting. The curse magically stops you from regaining hit points during a short or long rest, and it only goes away with a remove curse spell or a similar ability. Sadly, it's exactly when you're figuring this out that Rakshasas often move in for the killing blow. When fighting a Rakshasa, expect hit and run tactics to be the name of the game. Actually, it would be mind games that are the name of the game here. Think along the lines of a cat playing with their food. If you fight a Rakshasa and it gets away without being dragged down to hell, expect to fight it again within the next day. Be extra cautious as you rest and try to save any slots for curse removal that you can spare. And if it doesn't come back the same day, be extra suspicious of any noble you run into until that cat is accounted for. 
whether it be for pride or contract or whatever, I have pretty much always found a reason for a Rakshasa to come back in some way. Final bit of advice for fighting Rakshasa, which is admittedly party dependent, is bring a paladin with a spear. Rakshasas have a strangely specific damage vulnerability to piercing damage from magical weapons wielded by good creatures. A solid paladin smiting with a spear or other piercing weapon can end one of those kittens in a couple of hits with some good rolls. Throw your paladin and a spear and just let them take the lead on the fights and you'll likely come out on top. And I'm pretty sure you story-heavy DMs out there could easily use something like this to great thematic effect. If you can't tell, I absolutely love the Rakshasa. I think their design, cunning stats, and large helping of flavor make them one of the most exciting entries in the monster manual. They force DMs to get really creative, and players have to learn to be one step ahead of their opponent. Especially for low-level parties and long-form campaigns, I don't think you can get much better than the Rakshasa. Thank you guys so much for watching, I really appreciate it. Be sure to like and subscribe because we put out new videos like this every week, and if you're creating a Rakshasa NPC or are fighting one that you really like, I would love to hear about it down in the comments. Easily my favorite NPC I ever ran was a Rakshasa named Pate, whose campaign arc consisted of slowly becoming attached to the PCs, despite first meeting them on rather uncivil terms. Started as enemies, grew to acquaintances, and ultimately, he died fighting on the battlefield alongside them. Rest easy, Pate. While you can. <laughs> Thanks again for watching. My name's Patrick Ferguson from Skullsplitter Dice, and until next time, farewell.